There are a couple of different pictures that the Bible gives us of the birth of Christ. One, I imagine we're all familiar with. It's the baby in a manger, no room at the end, out in the dark. The other is a different picture. Same event, but seen as it were from behind the scenes. That's going to be our complimentary passage this morning. Our sermon text is Exodus chapter 34, verses 29 through 35. So if you place your bulletin or bulletin insert as a bookmark in Exodus 34, open to our complimentary passage, which is John's Revelation, chapter 12. With your Bibles open to John's Revelation chapter 12, in honor of God's word, please stand. John's Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, hear God's word. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in both pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God into his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. As far as the reading of God's word, please turn to Exodus chapter 34, beginning in verse 29, and continuing in the reading of God's word. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put the veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Let's follow in the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Father, we have read... We come to the preaching and the hearing of your word, and we pray that you would open our eyes. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. So this is clearly a memorable passage. Moses, his face shining, the veil. It's a very visual passage. It's very visual imagery. There's not really any doctrine 
that this passage is about. This isn't part of God's law, thou shalt do this or that. It's a very picturesque statement. Moses, with his face shining so brightly when he's in God's presence, that people are afraid to be around him. He's got to protect himself from their fear. Versus, on the other hand, Paul's statement that you and I have something so much more. How does Paul get from Exodus chapter 34 to 2 Corinthians chapter 3? How does Paul take this picture that we've got of Moses with his face shining and connect it in some way to how the gospel is even more glorious? Well, the thread that connects what would seem like a really, a really distant leap, that's kind of a leap <laughs> to go from there to there. The thread that has to connect has got to be the incarnation. It has got to be Jesus Christ. It has got to be something that makes our life fundamentally different from Moses' life. Fundamentally different from the context in which Moses speaks. And that's Paul's point in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This context is fundamentally different. And as we look at this passage very briefly this morning, we're going to look at Moses' veil first. We're going to look at the glory that is there under that veil. And then third, we're going to see that glory unveiled. Now, much of what I'm saying depends on your basic understanding of Exodus and, frankly, the whole Exodus series that we've been doing all along. But just to bring us right up to the point of the passage in front of us, the reality is, for Israel, for Moses, for the whole group of people as they've been moving through The reality is that when you and I stand in the presence of holiness, we fall on our faces in fear. We tremble. Every time you see that in Scripture, do you remember the passage that you and I often think of when we think of the Incarnation? Do you remember how the announcement was made to the angels? And if, like me, you grew up in a home that uh, where we read the Christmas story every Christmas, you might remember the phrase in the King James Version, they were sore afraid. <laughs> it's a great word. They were terrified. Their jaws dropped open. They fall on their faces. This pattern is repeated every time God declares himself throughout Scripture. It's horrifying. Now ask the question, what's the nature of the horror? Is it simply that God is so big and can squish you and me like a bug? 
Is that why people fall on their faces? Think of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. When he sees the Lord high and lifted up and the, the, that great vision of the cherubim flapping and their wings and with two they cover their face and two their feet and two they flew. They constantly are calling out to one to the other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. Heaven and earth is filled with his glory. And the very temple shakes. And what does Isaiah say? Dude, that's impressive. No. He says, woe is me. I am undone. Beloved, that's what happens when people get a glimpse of holiness. That's what happens when you and I see God. That's why he had to protect Moses. He said, you can't see my face. No man will see my face and live. But I'll hide you here in the cleft of the rock and I'll cover you. And I'll pass before you and I'll declare myself to you. I'll declare my name. But my face you cannot see. Because, beloved, you and I are not holy. Think of the passages in the New Testament. God is light. It's a comforting thought. If by God is light, you're thinking a night light. You're thinking a nice, unobtrusive, quiet light that helps you in the dark when you're scared. God is light. And when the monsters are in my closet, when the monsters are in my head, I remember that God is light and he comforts me. Praise God that he's a comforting shepherd. Praise God that he's a tender God. Praise God that he leads us and is there in the ship with us when we are on the Sea of Galilee. But beloved, God's light is followed up by, and in him there is no darkness at all. And beloved, that's a little frightening. God is holy. And in him is no imperfection at all. God is pure. And in him is no impurity at all. God demands that you be like him. And he gives himself clearly. He gives us his law to show us exactly what holiness looks like. And it comes with the warning that if you want to be at peace with me, You must reflect me. And beloved, if you don't look at that with just a little bit of fear, you are nuts. You are insane. If you don't look at the holiness of God and see a standard that is terrifying, then you're not giving the exact same response we see every single time in Scripture. From that terrifying place of holiness comes the clarity, the beauty, the crystal clear nature of God's law. And then we look at the glory. Now,
I want you to think about this passage for just a second. This is a really odd passage. Why is this passage here? Look at it again in your Bibles. Moses, his face shining, the people coming. Why did God choose to have that placed in your Bible? It could be that Moses is fluffing his resume. It, it could be that Moses is wanting to let people know, hey, you know, guys, pretty special guy here. I'm the I'm the big dog. I'm the one with face shining. And, you know, Moses is just kind of reminding people who feels a little little uh, threatened in his power structure. Maybe that's what's going on. That's some of the some of the commentators. That's what they believe. Maybe it's later. Maybe it's a group of people later. It's a bunch of priests hundreds of years down the road. And they're trying to build this idea of a theocracy. And they say, you know, for a theocracy, we've got to have a central leading character. Moses has got to be our guy. Let's just make up stuff. Those are theories. <laughs> they're garbage theories, but they're theories. I think there's two purposes here for this passage. There's two reasons that this passage is here in our Bible, at this place, in this narrative. The first is this. There's an immediate connection. And that is just this visual image. Moses in God's presence begins to reflect God's glory. He reflects it so powerfully that people are terrified of it. But the more that he's in God's presence, the more God's glory is reflected in his face. Is that not what the text is saying? That's just the basic narrative of the text. The more that Moses is in God's presence, the more his face shines. The more God's glory is reflected in him. But there's also, and here children and young people and people who grow up in a Christian home, here's where I really, really, really want you to listen up. Because there's a longer picture that's going on here. It's not just that your life and my life is going to reflect God, but Paul brings this up in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Do you remember we referenced that? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and he says that Moses has to be under a veil. In fact, the whole law is under a veil. Because here is the point of this text in the larger picture of the whole Bible. The point is this. Holiness without Jesus becomes Phariseeism. The law is not enough. The law, no matter how good you are, no matter how much you obey mommy and daddy, no matter how serious you are about your faith, no matter how diligent you are about family worship men, no matter how diligent you are about walking the walk women, no matter how careful and punctilious you and I are and we should be, because do it the other way is stupid. You pick up splinters. 
That's what all the wisdom and narrative and direction of Scripture is, is how to go through life without getting splinters in your life. And so, yes, we go according to God's Word, but all of that puts us here at a place where the best we can say is our face shines like Moses and we're hidden under a veil. The law is not enough. Being good is not enough. Striving and doing better is not enough. Because this glorious passage, everything else in the Bible tells us, is not enough. And no matter how much Moses reflects God's glory, and no matter how real that glory is and how scared the people are to be in the presence of it, it's just not enough. And there, as we see in Exodus 34, this glory, this this veil and this glory, now we bring the New Testament in and the glory is fully unveiled. In 2 Corinthians, the passage that we've been referring to, which I removed my bookmark on, in 2 Corinthians, Paul takes this passage, and he goes on with this passage, uh, and, and so we just read an earlier portion of it. If the ministry uh, of death carved in letters of stone came with such glory. So, so I'm back at that passage. And we move on down in verse 15. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Did you hear all that? Did you hear what Paul just said? He said, what you and I have is so much better than what just happened in Exodus 34. But then he said, and you and I are being transformed day by day into that image. That's pretty powerful. That's pretty glorious. That's pretty beautiful. That's what I want for me. At my best moments... I can say, I'm trying to reflect God. And at my worst, my most selfish moments, my most, my most bitter and cynical and dark moments, tap me on the shoulder and say, do you feel close to Jesus right now? Do you feel like you're reflecting God right now? And every time I'll answer you, no. Usually with a surly, now get away and leave me alone. <laughs> That's who I want to be. That's who I want to be. And beloved, I believe that's who you want to be. If you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, that's the, that's the aroma, that's the sweet-smelling aroma that you and I want. So how do we get from point A to point B? Because surely the Pharisees tried it, didn't they? 
The Pharisees were all good about doing the right things, being the good boys, being the good girls, following the rules, following the letter of the law. The Pharisees did it and they came under Jesus' complete denunciation. So now, how does all that connect with the Incarnation? Let's look back at Revelation chapter 12. And I think here's how you can get from I want to reflect God in my life. I want to reflect this reality that is in my life. I want to reflect the confidence that, that I should have. I want to reflect the joy. I want to be the Christian man, the Christian woman who is a person of grace and compassion. I want to be that. But how do I get from here to there? I'm not going to give you a list of rules because that would be Mr. Pharisee, wouldn't it? If you go forth and you're faithful, do these six things over these seven days, bingo, bango, there you go. No. That's the whole point. <laughs> you can't do that. Here's what you can do. That dragon, back in Revelation chapter 12, that dragon goes, the story goes on. This is, this is the incarnation. This is Jesus Christ's birth. From the standpoint of the cosmic forces of God and Satan, the serpent, and, and all these things that are going on in the background. Now, war is in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in the heavens. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God. You know those accusations? Day and night. You're not good enough. You messed up here. You're self-centered here. You're a failure here. Maybe you should do this. Maybe you shouldn't do that. Day and night. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. Beloved, that is what conquers. That is the victory. They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Later on in that same passage, verse 19, the serpent poured out water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help. That river of death that pours out from the mouth of Satan, John later will contrast with the river of life that comes from the throne. That little baby in a manger. From our eyes, yes, absolutely. Jesus Christ became man, became flesh, took on flesh, dwelt among us so that he could live the perfect life, die the absolute perfect atoning death, be raised physically from the dead on the third day, ascend to God's right hand, seated there interceding for his people, ruling and reigning. And in all of that, 
you and I get to reflect that glory. I think the more time you and I spend over here in the wonder of who God is and what He's done, the more we shine over there.